If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. Um, we do this show in alliance with LinkedIn Live. So welcome all of our LinkedIn listeners and welcome to all of our Voice America listeners. Happy to be there here today. Happy Friday. I hope everyone's enjoying the holiday season. Hopefully you're not like me and letting life keep you too busy that the holidays passed you by. Seems like this that the holidays are going to be here before you know it. It's crazy to think Christmas is three weeks away. I'm actually going to visit my daughter in New York City the weekend before Christmas. So maybe I'll be able to relax for a minute and enjoy all the beautiful things out in New York City of all places to try to relax New York. But anyway, on one of my latest episodes, I was talking about making sure you're getting your online shopping done early because of all these supply chain issues and shipping might be a huge problem. Um, So far, knock on wood, all my stuff is arriving on time. Fingers crossed everything gets here before Christmas. This week, actually yesterday, we had one of our virtual conferences. We had our Des Moines uh, Cybersecurity Conference. Our keynote speaker was Rebecca Harold, a.k.a. the Privacy Professor. Uh, one of her favorite topics and what she's known for is talking about the subject of Internet of Things. I started thinking about some of the IoT devices surrounding the holidays from the ring doorbells. We're all seeing all kinds of, you know, people stealing packages from the ring doorbells and all those new devices that are on the market that many people are going to be unwrapping this holiday season, which brings me to what we're going to talk about today. Um, just cybersecurity in general and how safe a lot of these devices are and just cybersecurity training in general. I have another great guest, Ken Underhill. He's the VP of Curriculum Development Instruction at Rapid Ascent, and he's also the executive producer, host, and owner of Cyber Life Television Show, and he is an expert in training and career choices. So welcome to the show, Ken. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kim. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's super nice to meet you. I see you out there on LinkedIn all the time doing great posts. So I'm anxious to get to know you today and find out all about you and all about um, your TV show in rapid accent. So why don't we just start from there and tell us a little bit about what you do at Rapid Ascent. Yeah, so I'm VP over curriculum development and instruction. So essentially over the curriculum building teams and one aspect is, uh, so Rapid Ascend, just backing up a little bit, is a skills-focused, on-the-job-focused type of training program versus your knowledge base that a lot of others out there are. So there's a workforce side as well as an academy side for those that have no technical background or do have a technical background but want, want to move into cyber. So we basically take you from zero to hero, so to speak, and train you up in a matter of months and get you out there with our partner companies and get you working. 
Awesome. And so how long have you been there? And is that a, how large of a company is that? It's a startup, right? It's a startup. Uh, I've been partnered up with them since I believe April or May of this year. So relatively new and we've run a number of trainings so far, so far five star reviews. Hopefully we can keep that uh, track record going. Well, that is definitely an area we need. We need more cyber training. We need more cyber folks in the industry and these young people. Um, there's just, it's crazy how much need is out there. I see it all the time being a cybersecurity that we, we work with so many sponsors and vendors around the country. I have people asking me all the time, you know, who, who can you send my way? We're looking, we're hiring. You see it all over LinkedIn. So that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about cyber life and your, uh, the radio, the television show. Yeah, so CyberLife, uh, I've had about a year now and a, a good following. I just changed uh, media distributors, so now I've got a couple million people a month that view it. But it's a, a show really to introduce people to cybersecurity and also give a voice to professionals out there. So I bring a number of guests on the show that share their insights, some of their general best practices for both securing yourself online and also your, your organization. And just uh, really just giving people a voice and trying to spread cybersecurity as something that is a valid career path and something that should be interesting. And uh, people so far love the, the the kind of models of the Bill Nye the Science Guy. I've got a few episodes where I have some kids in and we're doing some things with blocks and things like that. So it's just a show to to bring more awareness and just give a voice, like I said, to to those that typically don't get a voice in this industry. Well, I love that. That's exactly what I'm doing with this show. You know, on our cybersecurity events, you know, I'm always I have great you know, keynote speakers that are typically uh, CISOs. So it's nice to be able to talk to people like you on this show and really just, there's so many great people out there doing so many great things. And I, I saw recently you had Chris Roberts on your show and yes. I just had him on my show. <laughs> he was quite the character and um, it, it's just fun. I would have never met him had it not been for the show. So, nice. so, so what kind of training, um, when you talk about cyber life and some of the cybersecurity training, like, let's just kind of start from, you know, how do, how do you even wrap your head around everything that you have to do? So, you know, if you get someone that you're in your training program, where do you start with them? Yeah. So with us, the way we designed it is kind of the first stage is let's expose you to a lot of different things. So you can then decide like what you actually want to be when you grow up, right? And, and I'm still trying to figure that out myself, but we want to expose people to different things because if you just look at social media, oftentimes we say, oh, I, there's only hacking. Like everything in cybersecurity is hacking. And that's not reality. We, we all know that as practitioners. The other side of it is, oh, it's all just a SOC analyst, right? And so we try to expose our student base to a broader set of areas and really Malware reverse engineering, incident response, forensics, uh, of course, SOC type stuff, cybersecurity analyst stuff, some software development related stuff, pen testing, just a number of areas really to help them kind of decide what route they want to go down initially. And then from there, we help them build the skill set for those particular areas. So it all starts with the one thing, right? The one thing that you want to do which honestly is the biggest challenge most people face, right? They say, I want to be in cybersecurity. And my first question back to them is, well, what do you want to do in cybersecurity? It's like a hundred different things you can do, or if not more. And so uh, that's the biggest challenge I see people facing. And we try to help curb that for our students by just exposing them under our guidance to a lot of different areas and seeing what kind of sticks with each person. 
So do you have them do any sort of like assessment? Because we talk about that a lot. Um, you probably know Naomi Campbell. Mm -hmm. And we were talking, she was on my show. It's been some time ago, but we were talking about that, all the different areas in cybersecurity. And it is hard to figure out what area, I mean, I, how do you even break that down for them? Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of different ways to kind of figure out what you want to do when you grow up. And so we we just expose them, right, as, as part of this program. We just totally expose them to these different areas through different projects under our guidance. Now, if you're someone out there just kind of watching this and you're saying, well, I don't know what path to go down, there's some areas of interest that may be good for you, right? So let's say that I like crime shows. I might be good as an incident response or forensics or malware analysis, right? Because I have to investigate what some bad threat actor did. If I like to break things with my hands, like maybe I'm an auto mechanic right now and I'm watching this. I'm like, well, I've heard of cyber. It's popular in the news. Maybe I want to do that. I'm an auto mechanic. So realistically, I like to take things apart, right? And figure out how they work and repair them and put them back together again, hopefully in the right way. And so I might be good as a pen tester, right? Because I want to figure out how can I make this not work the right way, right? How can I figure out how it works so I can then break it a different way, right? Or patch it up a different way. So that might be a good route for me. Again, the crime shows, forensics, any number of those things. If I like to just kind of follow a process. So an example I like to give is I used to work fast food many years ago and I could follow a process, right? That's how you scale businesses like that. I followed a process to make the perfect burger, right? The Whopper, I worked at Burger King. And so if you can follow a process like that, if you're working fast food right now, or if you're working at a grocery store, any number of roles, where you follow a process in your day, then you might be really good for like risk, right? Where you have to follow a standard and see if the company you're working with is actually following what they need to do. So anything in your life, right? And it starts with a self-assessment, but it's not just looking at cybersecurity or any of these little assessments out there saying, do you know networking or things? It's more about you as a person and what are you doing now in your current job and how could that relate to something in cyber? Taking away all the technical aspects, just focus on the fundamental things of like following a process or communicating effectively with others or customer service skills. Any number of these things are things that translate not just in cyber, but to any career. So that's where everyone needs to start at is figuring out what are those things that you're really good at. Uh, me, I'm very introverted. A lot of people don't realize that. But I realized at an early age that I'm very good communicating with others. Even though I'm an introvert myself, I'm good at communicating with others, breaking down complex topics, et cetera, right? So for me, if I was still working fast food, I'd list a couple of things. Good, good customer service, I can follow a process, and I'm good at communicating with others, right? And I would take that, and then I would decide with some free courses, YouTube videos, whatever, what kind of cyber roles fit that that I'm interested in. And that's really how I recommend people do it. And so far, people that listen to that approach are very successful and they're already in the industry working and being successful at it. So a couple comments. Thank you, our viewers out there. Matthew Weaver said, uh, hey, uh, love Ken in space. And that's so funny because what I'm looking at, I couldn't tell, but I have my other laptop where I'm watching the show and I did not know you were in space until I saw that. <laughs> so so thanks for coming to us um, from way up there. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Matt's a great guy. For those that know, know him, he runs a foundation called Cyberbytes that helps a lot of people getting their start in cyber, especially military transitioning. So they're doing a lot of big things over there. So quick shout out. Thanks, Matt, for uh, hopping on and, and joining in.
And yeah, That's it's, awesome. it's great to join you from space. You know, when COVID hit, I had to get out of there. It, it was just, <laughs> you know, you couldn't find things you needed at the grocery store. So I said, safe is a, space is a safe place. I'll just kind of hang up here for a bit. Love it. And I love the technology that we can actually talk to you up there. Yes. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome for Matthew Weaver. I'm ex-military. I was in the Navy. So love hearing things about supporting veterans and helping them. You know, it seems like I would say half the people I talk to, if not more, you know, on this show, on our shows are ex-military. So it seems like that is the way most military people are going is cybersecurity. And then uh, Jessica Bishop said, just when I thought I was getting a good handle on what's available out there, I learned about ICS OT yesterday, learning about something new that exists every day. And then she said, not that ICS OT is new. I meant it was new to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize how many facets of our lives are affected by cyber, right? And, and ICSOT, Jessica, it's a great area to get into, right? Because there's a huge demand for qualified people in the critical infrastructure space. So definitely a good round. And I'm glad you heard of it. I know a lot of people, by the way, Jessica, in that space. So just ping me on LinkedIn and and I'm happy to make introductions for you over there. Can you break that down? Being that this show is called And Security for All, I imagine there are some listeners that have no idea what ICS OT yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, totally fine. Uh, and Jessica still may not know either, right? So uh, ICS is just industrial control systems. And I'm going to preface this actually by saying I'm not an expert in that area. I don't work in that area at all. But ICS, industrial control systems, and then OT, operational technology. So Think of it this way. There's a lot of areas, when I use the terminology critical infrastructure, there's a lot of areas inside of that, right? So this could be things like the power grid, water treatment facilities. This could be oil and gas companies. So like your Exxon or um, Shell, you know, companies like that. This could also be healthcare, right? That's considered critical infrastructure. So I worked a lot in healthcare cybersecurity. So that could be a hospital getting shut down with ransomware. So all these are under that umbrella of critical infrastructure. And then when we're talking about the technology part, that's the industrial control systems, OT, basically what's controlling, right? So if it's a manufacturing plant, as an example, that manufactures baby food, it's the actual machines, right? We're talking about the machines and the connectivity of the machines, the software that's running with the machines, the network connectivity, things like that, right? So that's the critical infrastructure. That's what we're trying to protect in that area, right? Because if it goes down, as we had seen with Colonial and some other attacks out there, it has an impact on our daily lives. And that's why it's so critical. And that's why it's actually a really good space for people to get into because there's a lot of need there for, like I said, qualified people. I think Jessica, if I'm not mistaken, may have been at our virtual show yesterday. I'm hoping that's where that came up. So um, Jessica, you can let us know, but I have a feeling that you were at our show yesterday. So love, that's one of the great things about our events. We are getting back out there live next week. We're going to be in Atlanta. Last week we were in San Diego. So we're slowly getting back out to live events. And it is like herding cattle to get people to come live because we offer all of our events in a hybrid mode. So um, it's not fun, but they come. We, we were getting about half live and half people staying virtual. So it, it's interesting time. So with that being said, how are you doing your training? Are you doing everything virtual? Are you doing it in person? Yeah, right now it's all virtual, but uh, we do have, obviously offer in person for the workforce side. But the academy side is totally virtual. We have students all over the country. And as we expand this next year, it'll be all over the world. 
right? We'll expand globally at some point uh, in this next year or two. But right now it's U.S.-based and it's all across the country. Um, oh, it was not my show. It was actually Gerald Augers. I'm probably saying okay. that wrong. Stream with Clint. You probably know both of these people. Vote again as the guest. But I'm excited to learn about our show too. Yeah, definitely check out our show. You can you can just connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll always see us advertising about our show. Um, so are you... Would you compare yourself to someone like, uh, you know, like a, a nonprofit like EC Council or someone like that where you're you're certifying or you're just doing more education on the front end learning of everything? Yeah. So we, we focus more on, on the job, right? You know, the challenge and not to disrespect or, or, or anything to other training providers out there, but the challenge that I've seen over all the years I've been training, which has been a number of years now is a lot of the training is knowledge-based or you go through like a, a lab, a virtual lab, and and sure, you do some tasks or whatever, but you don't really understand what you're doing and how it applies on the job. We focus everything in our training on the job, right? So when you walk away from even the first day of training, you can go do something on the job that these larger companies and smaller companies need you to do. It's not just a bunch of theory. It's not spinning up Kali Linux and doing a, a couple of password cracking and things and saying, oh, I'm a hacker now. It's actually, what can you do on the job and deliver value to that company day, on day one, which is different than pretty much every other training provider I've ever seen out there, right? We're, we, and we're all, we're, we're founded by people from the industry, right? This isn't just some investors got together and said, this seems like a good idea to make money. Everyone on our team is experienced in the industry. With over a decade, most of us have 20 plus years and, and we've seen all what works, what doesn't work. We've experienced some really, really bad training. We've experienced some okay training, but the reality is when someone comes in on the job, most people can't do the things, right? And that's the challenge, you know, talking about the skills gap that's out there is that I can't take somebody that just went through like a university program usually and put them to do something on the job because they don't know anything. They have a lot of knowledge. They've worked with a few labs, but like to do something on the job, they can't do it in most cases, right? So that's the challenge out there that we're trying to solve right now with this program. Well, um, hello to you, Jermaine Wilson. Thanks for being here today. Um, we appreciate all of our listeners. So how are you, um, like, how do you, so are they typically students that have just graduated from a program or I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Before you answer that, what, before you were doing this, what's your background? Yeah, so for me, I had the more traditional background, right? I, I came from IT realm, and I was working as a network engineer and then transitioned into more security-related stuff. Back then, it wasn't called cybersecurity. It was InfoSec. But transitioned more into that and then eventually moved into pen testing. And so I've from there, as, as a practitioner, I've also been teaching online for a number of years now. I Gosh, I five, six, seven years, something like that now. Uh, for a while. And um, the, the secondary thing there is all these, all the people coming in our program have a diverse background. So there are many people that have no technical whatsoever. In fact, we have a woman going through right now that hasn't touched a computer in like, I think 10 or 12 years or something when she started the program. And she's already going through and setting up containers, hacking things, doing malware analysis, you know, things like that, right? So we design it where anyone can come in. Now, some people do come with backgrounds in IT. Some people are, as you mentioned, university graduates where they found that they spent all this money on college and they come out and they can't get a job, right? They're still working at Amazon delivering packages or whatever. So they're coming in the program because we also offer an apprenticeship 
slash internship thing as part of our program. So there's a number of backgrounds, right? It's kind of what I'm getting at here. You come, people come from all walks of life, all ages. We have uh, people in their 20s. We have people in their 40s and 50s in, in there, right? And everyone's working together as a collective team to go through the, the training and work on projects and do stuff that they would really do on the job. So you mentioned pen tester, and I've been in this industry for a couple of decades, and been running these type of cybersecurity shows for at that long. That's what I've been doing. And I've watched over the years, different names of titles and pen tester, you know, is definitely recently, you know, one of a, a newer title, newer thing that you hear a lot of. So can you explain to all my listeners, can you tell us actually what a pen tester does? Yeah. Well, so that it could vary, right? It could vary based on where you work and, and things like that. Uh, I'll say at a high level, when those watching this, you see like Hollywood movies where there's somebody hacking something. Technically speaking, a pen tester is an ethical hacker. There's some differences between what you see on, on the Hollywood movies or TV shows. It's not that simple as they make it out to be where you click a few buttons on the keyboard and all of a sudden all, these, all this code goes on the screen and magically you've hacked into the Pentagon. That's not reality. Reality as a pen tester is you're going to get some requirements from the client in most cases. So it's, you're going to be basically doing security assessments, right? And trying to reduce risk for the clients. This might be for risk uh, or, or for a compliance part where say I'm a hospital, I have to do basically check certain boxes saying, okay, I got an annual pen test or a semi-annual penetration test. So there's a, a myriad of things you could do on that. You could also do uh, more of an internal thing. So your company itself, right? So let's say you're not working for a consulting company or third party let's say a hospital has a, a budget where they have a on-staff pen testing team. So you might just be doing internal or external assessments as part of that. Uh, as far as actual tasks, it can vary quite a bit. You could be doing what's called web, web application pen testing. So think of like websites or, or things you interact with via the web or things hosted up, you know, in the cloud, things like that. You could be doing what's called network or infrastructure pen testing where you're more, working more on the internal network, which really there's no perimeter anymore, but the internal network systems and hacking into routers and things like that. You could be doing what's called code review. So you're just looking at actual code and seeing are there vulnerabilities in it. So running different tools to assess for that and doing some manual review of that. Uh, I will say that there's a lot of documentation as a pen tester, regardless of what area you kind of specialize in or what you're involved in. The reporting aspect is the absolute most critical part, in my opinion, of working as a pen tester, because if you can't communicate what you found, then there's really no point in having you there, right? Uh, the other caveat I'll say is that when you work as a pen tester and you discover all these things that, you know, all these vulnerabilities that could be exploited, and, and the real purpose of a pen test is to try to find things before the bad people do, right? So the company can hopefully fix those things. What you're going to find in reality, though, is you're going to find all these things, you're going to report on them do the fanciest report in the world, make it look good, present really well. And then in six months or a year, you'll come back and likely you're going to find all those same issues, right? Because a lot of companies don't actually fix the issues. So just be mindful of that. If that is a career path that you want to take, that uh, you're going to see things that aren't getting fixed and you have to be okay with that. And you have to realize that all I can do is what I'm doing and present that. And then at that point, it's kind of their problem to do. Another aspect of pen testing a lot of people forget about is the physical pen testing, right? So you might also be hired to break into buildings. This could include law enforcement agencies, court systems. You have to be careful with that stuff. Make sure you have the right contacts and uh, contracts in place. You could be also breaking into nuclear facilities, right? So there's a number of 
things you can do in that this type of role. I will also I'll, I'll end here by just saying that pen testing is a very minute specialty inside the cybersecurity. There's a lot more jobs on the defensive side than there are as pen testing. And then I guess the last thing I'll say is just there's pen testing and there's also red teaming and other teams. We won't talk about. That. I was just gonna. Yeah. I was going there next. I was gonna ask yeah. you yeah. since we're talking about this and we are talking about cybersecurity training. Can you explain to us a little bit about those teams? Because I know there's different colored teams. Yeah, there's, and there's. I mean, I I saw some new team names recently too. I'm like, gosh, are we we're gonna go through all the colors of the rainbow. But <laughs> uh, so red teaming at a high level. Think of pen testing. So pen testing is usually a shorter engagement typically, right? It might be a couple of weeks, maybe a month, something like that. There's usually a finite time period where the customer says, I need you to do these things, test these systems or applications or whatnot. And you've got two weeks to do it or a week or a month or whatever. Uh, Red Team is more of that sustained engagement, right? It's, so it really better simulates an actual adversary where they might, their company might have or they might contract out a Red Team. And so they're going to be constantly testing the defenses, right? And there's typically some guidelines they have to work in so they don't want to cause chaos on production systems. But that's think of the difference at a high level is red teaming is more of a sustained engagement where a real threat actor isn't going to just try one thing and say, oh, gosh, I can't get in. My bad. Dang, I'll try something. No, they're going to keep going until they get in. And oftentimes they'll get in. You don't know that they're in. And then from there, they'll wait three months, six months or whatever, and they'll actually do the attack. So... That's kind of the main difference of those two. You've got blue team, which we think of as more the defensive team, right? So as I'm attacking things, there's somebody there, a group of people there that are defending against me, right? So that's when we use the terminology blue teaming. That's usually them. You've got purple teaming, which is kind of that correlation, right, between the two teams. You've got, uh, I've seen uh, like gold team, and um, I think it was like pink team recently. I still don't really know what those are <laughs> in, in the context of this company, but there's different color names. And if you work in the government space, there's also some different team names they may call it as well. But at a high level, if you're trying to get in cyber, know what red teaming is, blue teaming, purple teaming. Just know those, know those at a high level because you might be asked to rotate between the two teams or the three different teams in your role. So where do the pen testers fall in like the chain of command from the CISO down? Like where do they fall? Who do they generally report to? Uh, I'll say also that depends on the on the company, right? So when I worked as a pen tester, I reported to, they had like the VP of software development also slash security. So it was kind of a weird title they had, but I reported to them. Uh, you might report to the CIO. Uh, so you'll likely have a manager, right? You may have a pen test manager or some other title, but a, basically a mid-level manager. And then from there, it might report to the CISO, it might report to the CIO, could be reporting to a VP role, some type of executive role usually. Uh, in some companies, you might directly, as a pen tester, report to a CISO, and then there, from there, they might report to CFO or something like that. So it just really kind of, kind of depends on what company you go with. But um, just know that there's usually a mid-level person, and then there's an executive. Right, whoever that executive might be in, in the vast majority of companies. And you might also have like a team lead, right? There might be a principal pen tester that's the team lead. And so as somebody new to the team, they might be above you, then above them's a manager, director, whatever, right? Executive level person. So it just really depends on the company that you're with. Well, that was really great information. I actually 
I shamefully did not really know everything a pen tester did. So I love learning from my guests, especially when I'm working, when I have these pen testers at my events all the time. So now I kind of know what they do. And now I know what the teams, I kind of had an idea what the teams were, but there's always, like you said, there's new titles that come up on our registration list. And I have to look at, look them up and say, is that really a title? So what are um, generally when you're working with some of these, inter you're giving these young people or whatever, they may not be young, um, opportunities with for apprenticeships, do you just have relationships with other companies that are taking them on? And, and what do their jobs generally look like when they're doing an internship? Yeah, so it kind of depends on the on the company, right? But we do we partner with companies, and that's who we typically will will send them through apprenticeships or slash internships. And I'll say the difference there depends on the company because some companies will categorize it as an internship, so they can pay it with like certain benefits and things like that to benefit the student more. Other companies call it apprenticeship because of the way they're structured, the apprenticeship title allows them, the job code allows them to give the benefits or whatever to the student. So just kind of that aspect of the actual like title of what they're calling it. Depends on the organization. Uh, the roles can vary significantly. Most of them will kind of put you in a, a more general technical role, however they actually call that title. And what they're doing there based on the team, that's where they'll get you going, right? So we train, we train our students to be able to go into like SOC analyst or junior pen tester or um, risk, you know, GRC stuff, auditing a little bit, um, cloud stuff, you know, cloud analyst, or cloud uh, architect. Cloud, cloud uh, security engineer stuff. So we train them to go into these different roles at kind of a, a general level. So that way companies can then take them and put them in a team with specific things because there's a, there's a certain core that all our partner companies want someone to have as far as skill set and abilities to do things on the job. And then there's the specialized things, right, that are only pertinent to Amazon's not a partner right now, so I like to use them. So there's things that are pertinent to Amazon, you know, and, and Amazon AWS and all their other, you know, entities that maybe uh, Microsoft or somebody wouldn't be doing on their teams, right? So there's intricacies there that aren't things that we train a whole lot on because it varies company to company, but there's that core that we train on across the board that are really fundamental things that a student would need to be able to go into any company out there, any company globally out there. So that's, that's the difference, you know, and, and, and we, they go into different, different roles. Like I said, I mean, it's um, typically speaking, it's usually stuff around like uh, more risk security control stuff, as well as like kind of the, the analyst stuff where they go. Uh, but they may also go into pen testing, right. At, at a light level of doing some security testing. So one of the hashtags on your uh, LinkedIn page is women in cybersecurity. And I want to talk to you about that for a minute because I'm going to tell you some challenges that I'm having. I'm currently working on securing all of our speakers, all of our keynote speakers for 2022 and all of our panelists. And I have an event coming up next week in Atlanta. And um, my panel, I, I cannot, I'm having the hardest time finding women to sit on these panels or I do have some great, great women that have done keynote spots and I have some coming up, but it is really, really hard. And I get as a woman, as being a female, I get people, male, men say to me, no women on your panels or women say no women on your panels. And I work so hard to try women, try to find women to sit on the panels or keynote speak. So Let's talk about women in cyber and 
You know, I, I feel like some of the reasons that women are not wanting to speak is the intimidation still of the men that there are so many men in the audience and um, what's your thoughts and, and how do we promote more women in cyber and how do we, you know, I'm definitely here to help push that because if I, if I could secure all women just, just for one year to speak, it would be great. But I, and I, I know a lot of people and a lot of people out there know me and if anybody could do it, it would be me and I can't get it done. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so obviously, in this perspective, is coming from you know the the palest white guy in the world, right? So it's you know not not you know, so take it for what it is. But um, I, I think you hit it. I think think you hit the nail on the head a little bit with the aspect of um, some intimidation, and um, it's it's more so about from you know, the women I've spoken to's experience. So there's a couple of issues, right? There, there's the intimidation factor. There's also visibility. Uh, because I think a lot of women don't understand that all these opportunities are out there for them to do the speaking. And then there's other aspects of, hey, I haven't spoken at a conference yet. I don't know what to do, right? There's no real guidance that, that people have out there. But let's talk about the intimidation aspect, because that happens also in the workplace out there as well, where in these in these companies, right? And I, I mean, I've seen this happening. I speak up on it. I'm very confrontational. I guess that's maybe not the word, right word to use, but Hopefully you get the point that I'm not going to just sit there silently while these things occur. And um, from women I've spoken with, right? So just on the job, there's there's uh, kind of a, a feeling or mindset that a lot of the men they work with have that they're not qualified to to be there, right? So a lot of men that they've worked with in the past, and maybe it's improved slightly, I don't know, but the men they've worked with in the past don't give them certain projects or don't talk about certain projects because I guess they have an assumption that women don't know more. I mean, the women I know can run circles around men. So that's one aspect, right? The intimidation. And that also carries into conferences and events and things where because a woman's experiencing that in the workplace, she may not, she or however she identifies, she, they, et cetera, whatever pronouns that person chooses to use to identify with themselves or for themselves, they may feel intimidated because of the workplace aspect, right? Where they're dealing with this in the workplace. So now when you say, Hey, do you want to speak at the conference? You're like, I, I'm not good enough. Right. And I'm just, I'm not good enough to do that. The other aspect you see is that if they feel like they don't have enough experience, that imposter syndrome, right. Of like, oh, I'm not good enough to speak at a conference. Cause I don't know these things. I'm not an expert in that. And in reality they are right. They're the expert. Like if you talk to them, they know everything about the thing, right. Forensics or whatever. They're the expert, but they don't feel like that. Right. So that's one challenge. Just, you know, the empowerment angle of saying you can do this, right? The other challenge I, I see is, you know, as I mentioned, there's really no structure, right? We've got all these conferences and all these people sending messages like you want to speak at the conference, but there's no like, I haven't seen this with conferences really of, okay, if you want to speak at our conference, here's kind of the structure of how you would design your, you know, request for paper, you know, here's how you would design your, your CFP to present it effectively to us to where we say, yes, you know, here's, here's a great abstract. Here's what you need to do. There's no process at all. And I've spoken at a lot of conferences and I have yet to see one that like gives people a process and says, here's exactly what you need to do. If you're going to do a talk at, talk at this conference, here's the structure of how you need to structure your talk. Here's a couple of examples. Here's a couple of videos. Here's some video training even of how to, how to do a talk and best practices and experience from people that have spoken and, how do you captivate an audience? You know, all these things that 
when we speak at conferences, those that have done it, we kind of take it for granted, right? Because we've probably been speaking for years mm-hmm. at boardrooms and things like that. But someone brand new, they don't have all that. They don't know what the heck to do. So that's another thing I see that we don't enable people or empower them with the actual training they need to do these things. We just say, come speak at my event. Well, I mean, if I don't feel comfortable already with my own skill set, right? If I don't feel like I'm good enough, now you just totally overwhelmed me because I don't know what to do for a speaking gig. Like, I don't know how to speak at a conference. I'm not good with people or whatever. Maybe they're introverted like me, which a lot of people are. So I would suggest that, you know, and I don't know if you do this or not, but I would suggest for you and others listening that have events, create something. It could be just a couple of short YouTube videos or something of like, hey, welcome. You want to speak at our conference? Here's some tips and tricks, right? A couple of videos or whatever. It doesn't have to be extravagant, but just give people kind of a roadmap. That'll help them a lot. And then I would say the other thing that I mentioned is visibility. Yes, there are literally hundreds, I mean, thousands of conferences around the world each year. There's just so many, right? And, and it's so overwhelming. But if you want people to speak at your event, my suggestion for you and, and others out there is like, okay, how can we get visibility, right? How can I tap into people with large followings maybe that are willing to share about my conference with their audience? And if I'm looking for specific speakers, like if I'm looking for just women speakers or those that identify you know, as, as females or however they identify, then I immediately would say, all right, who has, who has large followings and how can I reach out to them to keep getting the message out, right? In advance, you know, not not, you know, I know you're only a week or so out of your, your thing, but for, for the future, right. How can I get this message out consistently, like every single week, right. To somebody to where they're pulling in and how can I make it an easy process where people apply to be a speaker? And how can I also uh, partner up with different women's organizations? Right. Um, I do a, I do a number of free webinars for various cyber women's groups, and I, of course, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but you know, there's a number of them out there, right, where the audience you're looking for, if you're looking to get more women to speak, they're there already, right? And they just need you to come on and do like a short webinar about how you can speak at conferences, right, and how you can do it, you know, as a person listening to this and just kind of empower them. So that's the other aspect there is the visibility. I mean, those are kind of the three main things when I talk to, to women in the industry. Those are typically the three things, right? It's, hey, I can't do this, right? There's that kind of imposter syndrome. They don't feel like they're good enough. And that's a lot of times caused by their workplace stuff that they're dealing with. The other aspect is the visibility. And then, of course, the I don't really know what to do, even though I sign up. I don't have I don't have training. I don't have anything like that. And I think, again, on the training aspect, we oftentimes forget that if we we have to think of it, we're in cyber, right? We have to think of it in cyber. If I want someone to set up and configure Splunk, I've got to give them the training, right? Whether that's me training them or some videos or a course or like there's got to be some training there. I don't just say, here, Kim, here's Splunk. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It's a sim tool, by the way, and I'm going to go get lunch. I don't do that, right? So why would we do that for conferences and things? We need to put training out there for people and, and give them a roadmap, give them some guidance. And I think if we do that, if we kind of hit those three things there, then we're going to see a lot more women and other people, right, joining in these conferences, speaking, finding their voice, empowering themselves. And we're also able to empower them to, to do those things. 
That's really great advice. And and as that, you know, I do have a ton of women that have spoken at my event, but they're, you know, high level women, you know, the CISO for United Airlines or Eli Lilly. I mean, they're used to doing events, but I was speaking with a woman last night and I was asking her to sit on a panel and she was like, well, I'm really nervous. I'm, and our panels are so laid back. You know, it's, it's not like a panel out at RSA. They're very laid back. They're talking about your challenges, the CISO's challenge. And it's just very conversational, just like you and I are doing right now. And she was all in. And then this morning I got a message that she changed her mind. So I like that. I'm going to use your advice and actually, you know, I do send our speakers like a list of past topics and, but I, I'm going to put something together, maybe a video of what the panel looks like. So they understand that it's audience interactive and it's, it's nothing that you have to prep for. It's very laid back and it's a great way to like kind of dip your toe in the water of speaking because you're not, you're not, the focus the whole hour, you know, you, you have people that you can work with on the panel. If you get stuck, someone's going to take over. So that is, I, I'm definitely going to work on that this weekend because I definitely am trying to push for more women speakers because there's, there's some very, very intelligent, smart women out there in cyber. And one thing that we've been doing at our conferences, um, since we've gone back to live since COVID is we're doing at, at our live events, we're honoring, we're, we're giving out awards and we're honoring a lot of women in cyber and some other people that are doing great things in the industry at our events. But we're definitely trying to be a, put a big push on women in cyber and try to celebrate them. And, you know, even them coming up and accepting an award is still taking them out of their box a little bit. So, and, there's men that are like that too. You know, I have a theory that, you know, since, since we're going back into live events, I think people not coming to events, it's not a COVID thing. It's a comfort, com I'm comfortable at home. I get to watch your event virtually. I was already in, introverted before. So now I get to stay in my safe place at home. I can watch your event, event get my CPE hours and I don't have to leave. Before COVID, they had to leave, and that's a shame because a lot of people we're not going to see again because, you know, it's we're, we, we are in a new world. People keep saying, don't say we're in a new world. We are in a new world. So um, it's that, that's some good information. And, you know, that's another thing about I have two um, daughters. One's already in her career. One's not in her career and has no idea what she wants to do. She's only 17. And I just keep saying cybersecurity, you know, there's a lot of money in it. You could do that. You know, she, she likes all that being on, you know, gaming and all that. So just trying to make it more attractive. How, what's your advice? And I've had this discussion with so many of my guests. How do you make it more attractive to that stigma that, ah, eh, that's boring IT stuff? Yeah, that's that's a challenge, right? That's definitely the mm -hmm. challenge out there. And the other th the other challenge with that is that many children have very short attention spans, right? So they like today they might be like, "Oh, this is fun to hack something," and then tomorrow they're like, "Eh, my game," right? So I think um, for me, the when I had the kids on the show, just getting their hands on it, right? Whether that's maybe um, if you just want to buy your kid or kids you know like a Raspberry Pi and have them set up a a home router, right? Instead of having set up a secure Wi-Fi router or something, you know, that's just things like that where, where they're, they're touching it, 
right? That's usually the best. If they're just doing it on a computer, it's eh. But if they're physically like touching something, it's just a different. I've seen that with with little kids. And I mean, I kept the attention span of like, I think one kid was like nine that came on the show, right? Like, how do you keep a nine-year-old interested in stuff, right? Realistically, you can't for a long period of time. But I was able to for the show episode because they're touching things, right? They're doing things. They're, they're doing that. So that's my recommendation is get them physically touching things, right? It could be Raspberry Pi or, or something, a lock, lock picking, just something physical, right? Where, where they have to put their hands on something. And I will say this also that you don't have to use technology to teach your kids or kids you know cyber and get them interested in it, right? If they like candy, which I don't know any kids that don't like candy, something's wrong with you if you don't like candy. So get a bunch of bags of candy and teach them a concept, right? Teach them like, oh, this is, you know, th threat intelligence is what I did in my show. So teach them threat intel stuff, right? At a high level, but just say, ooh, these, these gummies are like this or that, right? Or if I'm a hacker, if I'm a bad hacker, the reason why it's important to protect against them is because, you know, first ask the kid, like, what, what candy do you like? And they're like, oh, I like the red gummies. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not big on gummies, so I don't, I don't know that. But let's say they're cherry gummies or something, and the kid loves these. It's a favorite kind of candy. So just be like, okay, cool. That's your favorite kind. Great. So uh, let me take all these away from you. And how does it make you feel? Do you, is that cool or is that, they'll be like, no, that's not cool. I want them, right? That's my favorite candy. They say, okay, so as a company, we have things we like, right? We have our cherry gummies that we like. And so if the bad people take them away, if the criminals take away our cherry gummies, I'm going to be sad as a company, right? I'm going to be sad as a company owner because they took away my cherry gummies, just like you're feeling now. So let's talk about what we can do to protect the company and our cherry gummies from the bad people, right? And then you just go into talking a little bit about that. But that captures their interest, right? Because that's something they care about. That's the gummies, the candy they like. So they care about that, right? So you don't always have to use technology and spend a lot of money, whatever, to teach cyber and get people interested in it. You can do a lot with kids and also adults with candy. I do. I, there's some 40-year-olds that love candy that I've taught. And they get excited about cybersecurity because of that, right? So you can use whatever you have, right? It doesn't have to, you don't have to spend a lot of money to teach people things and get them interested in that. And it's usually just that exposure, right? Just having somebody that takes the time to say, these are the things we're going to do. Let's work on a quick project. Like if you actually want them to get hands-on, do a Raspberry Pi project. I mean, it's what, 130 bucks or so for Raspberry Pi, a decent one. And you can get a kit, right, that's got all the bells and whistles with it and get that. And then you can have them do some things with that. So number of ways you can do it, but they have to, what I've seen, at least from my experience, is they have to physically touch it. It can't just be do a lab or something like that. That stuff's boring. That stuff is, they're not going to want to do it. But if you get them physically touching something, that usually will hook them. And then from there, you can hook them with something else, hook them with something else, and eventually that'll get them going on the path towards a career, but they've got to touch it. They've got to physically touch it. Yeah. Maybe that's a, a Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she'd like that if she opens that up at Christmas. <laughs> you, well, you know, uh, uh, network Chuck is one guy that comes to mind. He's got a uh, YouTube video. It's a very simple one of taking a raspberry Pi and setting up a, um, uh, a Wi-Fi router, like a secure Wi-Fi router to carry with you. Right. So that could be something that maybe oh. you try with your daughter. I think it's, think the one he recommends the the raspberry pi i think it's a kit around 150 ish but then like there's a the wireless uh, usb that he he recommends is like i don't know 10 or 15 bucks or 20 bucks on so it's under 200 bucks right you can get a project for your kid and you can explain like this is cool because you can take it with you when you're hanging with your friends you can pull this out and you got secure connection to you know the internet whereas your your friends they're using whatever right and they're 
you know, there are some hackers getting their data, right? Some hackers stealing their photos and stuff, whereas you're protected, right? And so maybe that might be the way to, to spin it. I don't know if your daughter will fall for that, but, but I think a project, project's a good idea, right? Where they can physically touch it and see how it relates to their real life, you know, to what they do every day. We at our events, one nice thing is um, we're, we don't allow students to attend, but we do allow students to come and help us and volunteer. And it's such a great opportunity for them because we really only need their help in the morning for checking in. So then we tell them, go talk to our vendors, go see what they're doing, go listen to our sessions. So um, just I'm throwing that out to you if you ever want to send any of your students to our live events. It's just a great opportunity to, you know, because we, we will have 30 different vendors, you know, and, and they're the checkpoints and they're the Cisco's and, you know, all of them are usually there's tons of them, but it's a great way for them to go around and and our and our sponsors love. They don't want to talk to 50 students at our events because that's not what they're there for, you know, but they do like to talk to the students because really those are our future leaders. You know, that could be the next CISO that they're trying to sell something to. But it is just a really great opportunity for them to get to know the different industries and the different vendors and what they do and what they specialize in. So, um, you know, I think that's just a good thing for them. Um, so how do people find you? How are the, how are these students finding you? Are you seeking them or how do they find you? No, um, I mean, of course, as, as, a, as a company, Rapid Ascend, you know, run some ads or whatever, but not, not a significant amount. Uh, primarily, it's just uh, finding through Google search, uh, going to rapidascend.com and just finding out more information on that. Uh, some, some through partnerships, uh, some through knowing me, right? Some people that follow me are now uh, coming through the program just because of my reputation, the trust that I've built with them over the years. And so they see that this is going to be, you know, this is a good program versus others that they might have been looking at. So uh, any number of ways. I mean, there's, of course, organic and paid for any any business out there that's that's doing this type of thing. Our good friend, Jonathan Kimmett, and just joined. Hi, Jonathan. Do you, you know Jonathan? He's the CISO at the University of Tulsa. So he's, he's do you know him? Uh, I don't know him personally, no. Oh, okay. Well, he's a good guy. Someone good for you to know. He's He speaks at a lot of our events. So yes. welcome to the show, Jonathan. But um, again, what um, your TV show, we're, we're coming up on the hour, but can you tell us, like, what are you primarily covering on the Cyber Life, your TV show? Yeah, so right now the episodes are are just kind of a mixture, right? Some some episodes are more like your if anyone remembers Bill Nye the Science Guy back in the day. So like I've got a couple of kids on and showing them some different things, teaching them like lock picking and things like that. Uh, and I won't tell you if you actually if we actually get any locks or not. You've got to watch the episode to see. Um, other ones are where I'm interviewing someone like a, like Chris Roberts, for example, that we talked about earlier on the show, where I'm allowing that person to get a voice and some visibility and share their knowledge and advice with the 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 audience because the audience I've got for the show is your more general public, your small business owners, your mom and pops, your just kind of average person that's working in corporate, but that's non-technical, right? That's totally non-technical type of audience. So the goal again with the show is to get them interested in, in cyber. So a number of things there, I've got another concept where it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's not released yet on the show, but it's basically good Ken, bad Ken. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you too much on that, but good Ken, bad Ken. And if you want to see that, you have to tune into Cyber Life, and you'll see that at, at some point. So you can find the show. For those that are like, what's the show? I want to check out the Cyber Life show. 
Uh, you can find it on Binge Networks TV. So Binge Networks TV. You can also find it like Amazon and all sorts of places as well. You can also just go to cyberlife.tv and you'll be able to click click one button and go right to the show and see all the episodes. So number of ways you can find it. You can always just ping me. There's an app in development right now. I'm just waiting on it to be approved from uh, Google and Apple. So eventually you'll be able to take me to go on your phone as well via an app. Well, that's awesome. I was browsing through it, and that's how I saw Chris Roberts was on your show. And nice. I was, uh, yeah, I was went out early this morning at the gym. I was on the bike browsing, watching your show. So, so nice. it, 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 yeah, it looks fun, and I'll have to watch more of it. And um, and then what about what's what's next? What's your plans for you know 2022? Where where are you heading? Yeah, I mean, just continuing to help people, right? That's the overall mission, right, or the overall goal in life. And, you know, I do that through a number of, of means. Uh, the, you know, of course, the Rapid Ascent side, we're scaling up, you know, bringing on more students and more uh, workforce trainings. That's already exploded because of our results so far. On the Cyber Life side, uh, just continuing on more episodes. So, like I said, the, the good can, bad can. There's a number of different things I, I have in my mind. I'm a very creative thinker. At least I like to think so. We'll see what the ratings are on those ones, but a uh, number of things there. So that show is also scaling up episode wise because now I'm able to, to not be restricted to a season. So now I can just basically push out as many episodes as I want to with this new media distribution company, which is fantastic for me and fantastic also for the audience out there. Uh, the other thing I'll just kind of, kind of leave here is if you want to be a guest on the show, reach out to me via LinkedIn and let's talk about what that looks like. I don't allow you to do sales pitches. So if you're a vendor out there, this is not the place for you to push your product. But if you have something interesting you want to talk about, let's do that, right? And naturally, as a byproduct, of course, people are going to be like, this person's great. Let me go see what they're doing, right? So there's a natural organic byproduct of things like that. But it's not a, a, a show for you to pitch your stuff on. I, yeah, amen to that. Same same with my show. It's just really great getting to know people like you. Jonathan Kimmett, he he just uh, posted your the link. To nice, Cyber Life nice. TV. So thanks, nice, Jonathan, for doing that. And um, my team, when we post this, we get a lot of people that listen to the show afterwards. So we'll definitely tag. It's I think it's already tagged when everything that we were promoting. But we're down to two minutes. What last words would you want to leave with our listeners? Um, yeah. Anything. Yeah. So the final advice I'm going to give is something I mentioned early on for those joining late is if you're looking at a cybersecurity career at all in any capacity, start with the one thing, right? Pick one career and go all in on that for at least six months to a year, everything around that six months to a year, and you'll see you're in a much better place than you were the year before. If you try to do everything, you're not going to be successful. So pick one thing and stick with that and focus on it and just go all in on it like anything else in life. And the best way for people to find you, I would assume, is LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter. I, I never use it, though, because Twitter to me is just a bunch of noise, and it distracts me from a lot of things I work on. So LinkedIn is a place where you can find me. You can also go to cyberlife.tv that Jonathan shared and, and reach out that way as well. And then um, on the other side of things for your training, for your students, I, just LinkedIn because we're down to. Well, so like, but... Rapidascent.com. Go there. You can find out everything about the training programs. 
Okay. Well, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much. And uh, Ken Enderhood, who is the VP and Curriculum Development Instructor at Rapid Ascent, and he's also the executive producer, host, owner at Cyber Life Television. Thank you for being on our show today, Ken. Thank you for everyone out there that tuned in and keep tuning in. We have lots of great shows coming up. You can catch our past shows on uh, Voice America, on the business sector, on any place that you listen to your podcast station. So everyone, you guys have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and try to enjoy a little bit of this holiday season. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. <laughs>